Today is the last sermon in our prayer series. And so I was praying a lot, thinking a lot of what to cover in this week. And um, uh, let's start off with the story. I, uh, in my seminary, I went to Alliance uh, Seminary in the city here. Well, I didn't go in the city. I went somewhere else, but now they're only in the city. But uh, the dean of the school, he told me this story once of somebody that he taught, someone that he had a role in discipling. Um, someone at the seminary had a background in witchcraft. That's what she did. That's what she brought into her journey in getting to know Christ. And she uh, told him the story about when she got into witchcraft, one of the uh, spiritual gifts that she was given, even, even as a witch, was that she could see uh, people's auras, right? I know I'm seeing some smiles on faces. We have varying opinions on what that means or how silly that sounds. Uh, but she could look at a person and see if they were strong, if they were powerful, if they had presence. And uh, when she first developed this, she would look at Christians and she would be terrified of them because they, she could always see what they had, which was the Holy Spirit. But she also told the dean of the school, she said she learned very, very quickly that she never had to be afraid of any Christian because they seldom ever knew what they had. Because it's seldom to meet a Christian who knows what's inside of them. And not them. Not me, myself, not our amazing, what we are a room full of mostly believers, I would assume, and we all know that we, none of us are all that. Uh, but she would look at people and see what they had, and she, it would terrify her because she had nothing close to that. But she learned, like I said rather quickly, that she never had to be afraid because no one ever knew it, and no one ever did anything with it. And that story is sobering, and really sad to me all at the same time. That whenever in my daily life here, living, walking downtown, going around, meeting people, every time I shy away from what I think is right for the moment of telling someone about Christ, or witnessing to someone, or giving someone a gospel presentation, or even just doing an, a generous act that I feel the Holy Spirit put on my heart, every time that like, I shy away from that, like I know that I am doing the same. And I do that just like anyone else. Uh, but today I want to preach to us our last sermon series in prayer about what happens when we don't agree with that anymore. What are some of the benefits and inheritances that we join into as being in Christ? What is the certain ministry that is available to every single person who ever believes in the name of Jesus? Uh, and so we have been working on this sermon series, building this ethic of what prayer is, right? It's not just an activity. It is an activity, but it's not just an activity of when you sit down in that one chair or when you say to yourself, I'm going to pray, or when you forget to pray before you take three bites of your meal and then you put your fork down and then you actually pray or you don't, you just say whatever, it's, the moment's gone or when you wake up, or when you go to sleep, or whatever habit that you were taught, or to not have any habit of prayer at all. Prayer is this way that we can live life connected to God, connected to the Holy Spirit. It could infuse and inform every part of who we are and everything that we do. 
And so we, over the weeks, have been working on this definition, improving it, changing it, molding it, changing words around, because I am not a wordsmith. And sometimes people come to me and say, this sounds better. And then, oh, that does sound better, so let's improve it. Uh, but this is where we are at. Uh, this is our working definition. It says that prayer is an honest act of listening to God that moves you towards God's presence, permission, and it is ultimately an experience of eternal life. And today we are going to uh, not add to this definition because I could not find a way to include everything that I'm going to say in this. We are going to also have a like definition 1B to this that says this. It says that, Prayer is authority given in power encounters and an inheritance given by and rooted in Jesus. I'll read that again. Prayer is authority given in power encounters and an inheritance given and by and rooted in Jesus. Um, that's going to be our topic for today, is the power and authority that we have been given and our inheritance that we all share because we are co-heirs with Christ. And so uh, today we're going to be reading out of Luke chapter 7. If you could stand for the reading of the word as a sign of reverence, that these are not just words from a book, but words given to us by the Lord. Um, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 21 says this. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. Uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for everyone here, everyone listening, everyone watching. And uh, before we do anything else, Lord, I just want to welcome you here. Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that I only speak the words you have given me. I pray that you speak to each one of us exactly where we're at, where all of our hearts are at, and I pray that you would minister to us. Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and our souls, that you would speak to us, that you would do the work, the ministry that only you can do. We gather here to hear about you, to worship you, to uh, be exposed to you, Lord, and to um, leave differently to leave encouraged to pursue you more. And so, Lord, that's what we're here to do. And uh, I pray that we are faithful to do that today. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, take a seat. And so, um, to do this, to talk about what we are going to end up talking about today, which which uh, our inheritance and the authority given to us as believers in Christ, that if we are in Christ, that God gives us permission and ability to call upon his kingdom power for uh, healing, both physical and inner healing, healing, uh, and also to partake in the ministry of deliverance, of telling evil spirits, spirits that do not belong to Jesus, to leave our lives, to leave influencing us, 
uh, we kind of have to set up a couple of things. And really, the bulk of today looks like it's going to be in the beginning. Uh, because I want to talk about a couple of things that we can't just come, like, I, we can't just fall into talking about authority. I just really felt this need to lay out the biblical picture of what it really means when we say we have authority in Christ. So what that really means and what, how that is like rooted throughout the whole of the biblical narrative. And so we need to discuss the backdrop of authority. Uh, quickly, I, I understand that like, we're all coming at this from different, from different angles, from different experiences and traditions. We've all seen or had different people teach us different things. And so we are not all coming to this at the same point. I am also not a good like disclaimer speaker. Like I uh, want, I get in and I get motivated and I just forget about every question that anyone who doesn't know what I know would ever ask. And so let's set up the picture of what it means of what God was doing throughout all of His story about giving us authority, about putting authority in our beings when we are aligned with Christ. Uh, and I also want to define a couple of things. When I say power encounter, I mean that whenever power is being disputed between the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, there is this power encounter. There is this competition to like, have the same territory, this competition to occupy the same space, but only one can actually have it that all of Scripture has been, after the fall, has been Satan's kingdom and God's kingdom and God's redemptive plan overcoming all of his enemies, the kingdom of darkness, step by step. A power encounter, when I say that, it means when we see God's kingdom come up against Satan's kingdom. Or when we see Satan's kingdom try and challenge God's kingdom and his plans. That is what I mean by uh, power encounter. And uh, the, all of narrative is the story. Right after the fall in Genesis 3 is this story between two kingdoms uh, vying for all of this that God made. And uh, really quickly, I, I wanted to say, C.S. Lewis talks about something that's really important. He talks about how Christians tend to fall into two different categories. We either overestimate the kingdom of darkness or we underestimate. When we overestimate Satan and his kingdom and what he can do, we live in fear. We take our eyes off of Christ, off of God's kingdom and of his story, and we look at the one we are supposed to not look at. And it causes us to live in fear. It causes us to think that this story that's being told is of two equal kingdoms, that the, balance, like that the ending is up for grabs, right? And that is not the case, and that is not the story that, Bible, that Scripture tells us. But there is one already victorious kingdom, and we await for that victory to be made final. Right? Don't ever overestimate Satan or his kingdom. He is more powerful than you. He is more powerful than me. He know, he's been around a while. He knows what we are generally like. But no one can ever stand in the room when Jesus walks in the room. Right? Don't overestimate our enemy, because he can do nothing against Christ. But then also, we cannot underestimate the enemy. We cannot have this flippant attitude where we're just like, oh, you know, I have Christ. Nothing will ever happen. God's story is a story of his people who step into suffering all the time because we have an enemy whose only agenda is to destroy everything that God does. His only agenda is to go up against everything that God is and everything that he does on this, in this creation. 
And so don't underestimate him because in scripture it does not underestimate him. We see this interesting, really interesting story that should cause a lot of questions to come up in our mind, especially in Daniel chapter 10 when it says that God's angels were kept from going to them because of demonic angels. It's like this really interesting picture that scripture always tells us that there, this reality is true. That our modern, rational, western worldview often really underdevelops. That this life is more than just the physical. This life is more than just what you can feel. This life also is more than what we could ever test in a test tube or a lab. There's more. Human life even, just that is more a sign that there's more to life than just what we see. All right, so don't overestimate the enemy. Also, don't underestimate the enemy because Scripture does not. And so, let's set up this backdrop. I'll, that was like a backdrop to the backdrop, so let's get into the backdrop right now uh, and just talk about the biblical narrative from the beginning to when Jesus comes. Right, in the beginning, God was hovering over nothingness. Tovu vavohu, that's what the Hebrew says. It, everything was formless and void. God hovering over the waters is what Genesis 1 says. This picture of God being perfect and holy over when all of chaos is surrounding him. And then at the perfect moment, God decides to move and God decides to create everything that has ever been created. He moves and his, he speaks. Like John, John 1 gives us this picture of Jesus speaking everything into being, but Genesis 1 is not quite that specific. He moves to make everything. And in his process of making everything, he is uh, overcoming chaos and bringing order into all of this. Right? Genesis 1 is the story of God taking all of this chaos that we all know, all of this chaos that we all have inside of our hearts and in our minds, and he is just ordering everything, putting everything in its right place, creating a container for everything and filling that container Right? Every day has a corresponding day. Three, day one corresponds with day four. Day two corresponds with day five. Day three corresponds with day six. He makes this container and then he fills it, ordering everything, calling everything good because God cannot make anything that's less than good. And he just keeps on filling all of these things and he creates everything that we've ever known. And in this process, he makes this one thing, this one creature that is different and set apart from all of the other creatures. He makes Adam, man, and then Eve, woman. And he calls it very good. And these two creatures here are different from every other animal, every other thing that he created, everything in the heavens and everything on earth. It's special because it carries a couple of things, namely his image. We're the only ones given his image. You could, we could fill the rest of your lives trying to figure out what, like the totality of what that means. It's beautiful and it's great. We have his image. But then he also gives us some things that he did not give anyone else. He gave us work to do. Right? He put Adam in that garden and he told him to name all the other animals. Right? In the ancient world, that's a sign of authority. If you name something, you're over that. And so he gave him work to do, and he gave Adam this job of naming all of creatures, making humanity different and set apart from everything else that crawls on the earth, that flies in the sky, that swims in the sea. He also tells Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the whole earth. 
And he uses words like subdue all of this and have dominion over all the animals. And it's not quite what we do today where we're destroying everything, but it's this call to rule over everything. Right? God placed Adam and Eve in this special place of having authority in his creation. Right? Even in creation, we see this generous God. If there's one word that you would ever try to like, say about God, one of the ones that should come to our minds right away is one of generosity. But even before we did everything that we did, he shares this authority with his people. And so that's the world that God created, already sharing his authority with little dirt creatures over the creation that he spoke into being and he organized and he made and he loved. And then Genesis 3 comes along. And the one thing that we're supposed to not do, we did, is that we agreed with Satan, the deceiver, the, the serpent. And we did the one thing that we are not supposed to do, not only just eat from the fruit, but we agreed with his lie. And then the rest of the story is a story of humanity over and over and over again agreeing with Satan, agreeing with things that we should not agree with. Every time when I like don't do what the Lord is telling me to do or I shy away from telling someone about Jesus, is like me bending my knee not to God but to what I want or to what I am afraid of doing. I agree with the wrong person. I agree with the wrong person. And then the picture from there on is this picture of a fallen humanity that sin has entered not just humanity but all of creation. All of creation groans for God's liberation, right? We are all waiting for the end to come because we want God to come back and restore the world that he always meant us to live in. But in that process of agreeing with our enemy, this really interesting thing happened where we gave our authority to him. And so this is the picture that scripture tells us, right? We are called not to underestimate our enemy because he has authority that was meant for us to have in this world. And the New especially the New Testament writers speak about this all the time. Uh, we have some slides here of what Satan is called in the New Testament. One of the names that he is given is he is the prince of this world. In more than one place in John, John reference calls him this, that he is the prince of this world, that he has real power to do things here, that he has his agenda to do everything contrary to what God wants, and he is alive and active and works in this, here. In this life. The biblical worldview is that we have an enemy that's not just oh, my, like, I'm not good enough, or we're not good enough. Like, the, we have an enemy and an opposing kingdom here. The New Testament also calls him the prince of the power of the air in Ephesians chapter 2. He has power here. He has an agenda here. He has his own structure here. And all he wants to do is to kill, steal, and destroy. That's what he craves to do. That's what he lusts after doing all the time. He's also, interestingly enough, to like go up against our pre, like what we want to hear. Second Corinthians calls him the God of this age. Right? Small g God, but the God of this age. A title that none of us would ever want to hear. And some of us from our traditions and our backgrounds cringe at ever seeing what that, like that's in scripture. Yeah, he's called the God of this age. 
And also 1 John chapter 5 says this about him. It says that we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Right? That's a lot more power than we, I think, are comfortable with giving to him. And then this is the worldview that paints all of Scripture. From the Old Testament, everything about like Babylon and kingdoms coming up and going up against his people, all of the Psalms make sense when we hear that they're not just words of like men and women in, in bad times or in happy times when we hear about the wicked and the righteous. No, but the backdrop to all of that is that we have these two kingdoms opposing one another, nothing the same, have none of the same goals, do none of the same things, and they're always at war against one another. Always God is, has this redemptive plan for his people, for all of creation, and it goes, and we see fights, but they're more than just people fighting. They're like the spiritual reality of God's kingdom fighting the other kingdom. We see idol worshiping. You're not just like, okay, I can like make an idol out of this microphone here, but it's not the microphone. It's like the spirit behind that, that I give my allegiance, and I agree with all of the wrong things, and it's not directed to the Lord, and Israel had this problem all the time. They gave their worship to everyone else but God at times. They put their security in everything else but God, and all of that goes to like bringing the kingdom of darkness what it wants. But God, this generous, loving God, always had a plan and was always speaking to his people, always raising love in his people, protection in his people. But God, this perfect, holy God, always serving his people always harnessing his power because if we enter the room with him, we're too impure. Always being generous with us, raising up prophets at all the right moments in history to speak truth in the face of lies, to speak truth when all we hear are false prophets telling us everything that we shouldn't be hearing. God has always been at work. And it crescendos, God's narrative crescendos over and over and over again until Jesus comes. God himself is born. And God fights this war in the most backwards way that any of us would have ever imagined. He came as this poor, humble servant, born in the grossest of places, with the animals, in a disgusting manger, born into nothing, not in a palace, not around soldiers, but around some of the lowliest of people in his society. And then he starts fighting this war in all of the ways that none of us would have ever imagined or written the script of. He, so he fought this war with love, even loving his enemies, teaching his people to love everyone, to serve everyone, he, the king of the universe, came and he taught us what God was like and what his kingdom is like. He regained our lost authority by serving. He cleaned his disciples' feet. That's my daughter's favorite story to read at night right now. She's really loving the Jesus washing the feet story. But he came and he, he harnessed himself. Right? He contained all of who he was and his divinity with us little creatures. And he took the disciples by the hand and he taught them everything that he taught them, right? He never gave up on us. He stayed with them, us slow people who ask all of the wrong questions at all of the wrong times until one of his disciples was tired of this and wanted to force his hand and got him killed. 
Right? This is our God fighting this war in the most backwards ways that we would ever imagine. But that's what he did. And there was something special and different about Jesus. And I, I want to point out a couple of things. A couple of things that the New Testament writers were inspired by the Holy Spirit to put in the story. The first thing that we know, there's something different about Jesus is that he spoke with authority and it amazed everyone. Right? Uh, Luke picks up on this. He says, and when he, went down, and when he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his words possessed authority. Right? No one had ever heard anyone teach like Christ. And the one thing that they pinpointed, the one thing that the Holy Spirit wanted us to remember, was that Jesus spoke like he had authority. Not like the rest of us. Not like any rabbi or teacher or traveling minister did at the time. He had real authority and real power, and it shocked everyone. I think of everything they could have been amazed by. And I'm sure they were amazed by a lot. Everything. They were amazed at his authority. Right? Even Mark picks up on this. Even Mark writes, he like, could not let this go. In Mark chapter 1, verses 22, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught us someone who had authority and not like the scribes. He like, actually could do things that he said he could do, and it amazed everyone. But not only did he speak like he had authority, he acted like he had authority. Uh, we Earlier, we read from Luke chapter 7. In this part of the story in chapter Luke, John the Baptist gets two of his disciples to go and ask Jesus if he was the one. Are you the one that we've been waiting for? Or are we, like, do we still need to be waiting? And Jesus, this was Jesus' response in chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. This is what he said to them. He says, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. His answer to them was, look around. Look and see that this is not what always happens. Look and see that when I move, something happens. That when I speak, everything listens. Every disease, every infirmity, every spirit in the ministry of Jesus listens to him. Right? This documented man in history, with all of these eyewitnesses that put these gospels together, tell a story of this man who, when he spoke, everything listened to him. He was not like you or me when we wish for everything to happen. When he declared that something happened, it happened. And we look at Jesus and we see that he is this man of great authority. That he is unlike you or me. He is special. He's different. He's not just a normal person. And his teachings go on and he claims to be the Christ, the Messiah, the one that all of us are waiting for. John 1 claims that he's the one who made all of this. And all of this is just to set up this one fact that Jesus was the only one who did everything that God can do in this world. Uh, interestingly enough, one of Jesus' first healings was that he healed a leper. Right? That is a special type of healing, one that only God himself could do. In the Old Testament, only happened twice with Miriam and with Naaman, and both God was the one causing that healing to happen. 
And then Ephesians goes on and continues his story and says that if you are in Christ, you are co-heirs with him and you have this inheritance. And so I like, want to raise a people like, here in Jersey City and a people anywhere who hear this, that like, when we belong to Christ, when we are his, when we are a part of his family, when we have adopt, been adopted by him, if you hear Jesus' story, that he claimed to be God, and whenever he spoke, everything listened, and he healed every disease that came his way, and that he spoke to every unclean spirit, every spirit that didn't believe in him, and they all had to bow their knees and listen to him and do what he said. If you are in this Christ, man, that you share his inheritance, because he is a God of generosity. And though there are many different places that we can take this sermon, there are many different inheritances that we have been given, that we have the right to rule, to like, exercise in our lives here in this world, I want to focus on two that are centered around prayer. The first one being the act of healing, an inheritance of healing, and then an inheritance of deliverance. Um, one of the most interesting things in how the New Testament is written is that the story could have easily just ended with Jesus, but no, he like teaches us. He tells this story that everything that he did continued while he, when he left. Right? In Jesus' ministry, ministry, he sets this up. And one time he sends the 12, and he tells them, and he gives them authority. Right before he sends them away, he gives them one thing, authority, to heal and to cast out demons. There's a, actually a really good uh, episode in the show Chosen this last season of that. Like, depicts really good how scared the disciples were which is quite a scary thing. It's a big calling, right? But they go out, and they come back, and we hear their reports. God, it actually worked. It's not just with, when you do this. With the authority you gave us, it actually worked. And not only did he just do it with the 12, right? Because we could have created theology around, oh, it's, it was, oh, those 12. Those 12 were, st were special. They were different because they were his 12, right? But then later on, Jesus sends out 72, and the same thing happened. He gives them authority. He sends them out, and everything listens to them because of the authority they have been given in Christ. But then not only that, it continues when Christ is resurrected and he is no longer here. And I want to highlight one story. I preached about this a couple of months ago. You can go back and find it on our YouTube. Uh, but in Acts chapter 3, is this beautiful story of when Peter and John are going to the temple and this lame beggar asks them for money, right? You read Acts chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Beautiful, beautiful story. Uh, and this is, he asks them for money, and Peter looks at them. They make eye contact, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 3, verses 6. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And it happens. Peter picks him up by the hand, and his whole body is strengthened, and he does something he's never done in his life before. He stands up. Right? Paul, Peter, very importantly here, says, I have nothing, but I'll give you the one thing that I have. And he gives them the name of Jesus, and everything holding him down listens to him, and he walks. And so for you and for me, we are people who have Jesus' name, who can pray for healing for ourselves, 
and for this world, right? Just like the balance between overestimating and underestimating the enemy, we have to hold two things in tension. That we have this name, and this is our inheritance, and God teaches his people to pray for healing. But we also have a theology of suffering. That God's story is a story of his people being willing to suffer for him. Of Paul saying that I want to know Christ even in his suffering, so that I might be more like him. But the story still teaches his people to pray for healing in Jesus' name. After this, it continues stories of healing. We see stories of healing, of people being healed in Jesus' name, when that truth remains to this day that we can pray for people's healing, not in my name, not in the name of our church, not in the name of our denomination, in only one name, the name of Jesus. And we get the privilege of seeing things change from time to time. We get the privilege of taking this faith-filled risk and praying something really bold and healing actually happening. It's one of our inheritance of belonging to Christ is that we get to see the miracle of healing. And so I just want to say in the context and the life of our church, we will continue to pray for the healing in Jesus' name for anything that is brought here. We will suffer with anyone who does not experience it but we will never stop praying for healing because that is part of our godly inheritance in the name of Jesus. But it's not just that. We also have been given a ministry of deliverance. And for this story, I, I wanted to uh, bring up a really interesting story in Acts chapter 16 that we'll preach further on at some point because it's so interesting and it begs us to ask us so many questions. But this is the story. This is Paul. Paul is doing this. Uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 16 and 8 says, And as they were going to a place of prayer, Paul, Paul was part of this group, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So she had this, divination, this uh, evil spirit of divination where she could see things in the future, and the people who she was enslaved to benefited from it monetarily. In verse 17, she followed Paul, and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out, of, it came out that very hour. Right? It's like a deliverance through being annoyed. That's not the type of ministry that I, like, I want to set up here. Like, but it's just so interesting. Like Paul just, was just annoyed. He's like, okay, listen, spirit, in the name of Jesus, come out. And it listened. Much like it did in Mark chapter 5, my favorite story in all of scripture with the demoniac. The spirits listen to Jesus whenever we call upon them. I have seen many people enter into deliverance. The first time I had ever seen it, I was the person myself stepping into it, and it was crazy. I'll tell you if you haven't heard that story yet. But over, we see God move all the time. We have so many questions in this life of why does this happen? Why does this happen? Why did this happen? And often I cannot answer those questions, but I can tell you with every confidence in my body and in my soul that whenever we have called upon the name of Jesus, he shows up. He heals every wound. 
He drives every spirit out that does not belong to him or honor him or worship him. It is part of our godly inheritance that we have been given the authority to speak to every spirit that does not worship God to leave our lives, to stop influencing us. Uh, the, the picture that we have of uh, possession and all that isn't the most accurate biblical picture, and we're already running late, so we're, we don't have the time for that today. Come, come and ask me questions. I know that you will, many of you will have a lot of questions around this, and we will preach on this further one day again too, but every time we have ever called upon the name of Jesus, every spirit answers. Whereas in healing, it's like not 100%. In deliverance, it is 100%. That if you are honest, and if you want change, every spirit bows its knee to Jesus every time. It is part of our inheritance to be people who have this privilege, who bring this to one another, who experience this for ourselves, and who carry that as a tool in our pocket when we're walking down the street. Maybe someone is going to annoy you tomorrow, and maybe this is what you're supposed to do. Probably not. But we have this inheritance, and we should be a people who know our inheritance and what we've been given. That if you are in Christ, you have been given authority by a generous God to do what he is doing in this world. And so the worship team can come up. I know today's sermon isn't my typical sermon. It's a, I don't know, it's a couple of different things. But I want us to know, to be encouraged, that we belong to the one whose a name is above every name, that we have been given this privilege to agree with him and no longer with the enemy, no longer with our broken selves, no longer with just what we want to see, but that we can be people who are in Christ, attached to the true vine, and who get to use his name to do what he's doing on this earth, to experience his liberation, to experience his freedom, to end bondage that we have with the enemy, to end every agreement that we've ever made with someone who does not worship Jesus. That is our privilege. That is our inheritance. And we will walk that out in this church. And so, first of all, let's just worship Jesus. Give this some time to ruminate in our hearts. Uh, if you need prayer, we're going to have people up here who will pray with you during the music. Come up. Don't wait if you know you should pray with someone today. Don't prolong it another day or another hour. Also, I forgot to say this last week when we did this. Don't just, also don't say, I will respond when the music's over. I'll go talk to someone when I just don't want to do it in the context of right now. And that's fine. You can always talk to us. But respond. Respond immediately. Respond whenever the Lord is doing something. The soonest you can do that thing. Come and pray with someone that we trust to be able to pray. Go and open yourself up and be honest with another person, and they will pray on your behalf and with you. And then at the end, I'll come back and I'll close us off, but let's worship the name of Jesus. Not just the name, let's worship Jesus himself, and then uh, we'll come back together. We'll stand up together, 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 together.